Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I am recording live on location from a cafe today in Malaysia, so I apologize in advance if there's any background noise such as passing motorbike or two or ten. But we have another outstanding guest on the show today. His name is Patrick King, and I really think you guys are going to be blown away by this interview. Patrick has self-published something around 25 books and counting. He's a top-ranked author in numerous categories on Amazon. He's a top five author in business and money, top 10 in the category of health, fitness, and dating, top 100 in other categories such as self-help. He's publishing almost a book per week, and his books are dominating the charts in multiple categories. Patrick is also an expert at social interactions, and much of his work is focused on communication, relationships, and dating. He's also really plugged into location-independent lifestyle, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're also going to learn how to use these social skills that he's acquired to succeed in any area of life, especially business and getting ahead in your career. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. Danny, good to have uh, oh, good to have you. Thanks for having me. I mean, it's good to be here. Thanks. <laughs> it's good to connect finally. Hey, the communication expert had a slip up in the, the opening there. We have to, to go back and oh, do that again. Oh, it happens though, yeah. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. I love it. So, Patrick, why don't you uh, tell me and the listener a little bit about your backstory and how did you embark on this journey of self-publishing and being this, this kind of communication consultant? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of been a winding road, and it and I guess it started when I was about halfway through law school. So I'm actually still a licensed lawyer right now, and I, I plan to be still, you know, keep up. The licensure because you know I put in some work to get that, but um, you know about halfway through law school, I was I just I almost quit. I haven't told many people that, but I almost quit law school. But you know it was one of those sunk cost things where I was like, okay, I'm here. I've already invested two years or 1.5 years. I, I might as well see this out, and maybe this is going to be a lifestyle that I can, um, you know, obviously not love, but at least tolerate, um. Yeah, so I practiced for less than two years, couldn't tolerate it. Um, and at the, you know, about a year into it, I was already kind of planning my escape route. So I had been interested in, I've always been interested in dating. You know, it's um, it's something my friends told me and they realized more than I realized. Um, so I was working, at, I started working as a consultant um, for a matchmaking company to be a matchmaker. I started just uh, coaching people uh, on my own on how to ghostwrite their profiles and messages and things like that and actually how to choose their their photos. And, um, you know, for, for clients that were in San Francisco, and that's where I'm based uh, for the moment, um, I would, you know, take some shopping. I would um, do photo sessions with them to know what the optimal photos for conversion, you know, so to speak, replies and dates would be for them. And I was doing this all on the side of being like a full-time lawyer. So at some point, you know, I took a step back and I was like, yeah, this is um, this is kind of the area I want to be more in, into. And, uh, you know, how that ties into my current publishing is uh, I, 
I released my first book, which was based on OkCupid and Match.com. It was just kind of a guide for guys for online dating. And it started generating money, um, which was surprising at the time for a few reasons. But most importantly, that I just kind of threw it up there, not intending to make money. And I didn't really know what I was doing in publishing at that point. But it was a very lucky stroke, stroke because now that's kind of my bread and butter. Um, so fast forward about a year, year and a half, and here I am um, just kind of enjoying a location-independent lifestyle and kind of making my own hours when I, whenever I want. Yeah, and you just returned from, uh, what was it, three weeks in Europe? Oh, no, it was two months, actually. Oh, two months uh, in Europe, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I was in, I know, right? So I was in Europe for two months, and I just kind of took a tour of the EU, so to speak. Um, it was cool. It was, um, I think it's probably something you experienced where, like, you know, you're in a place for five days, and I don't, it's it's kind of tiring to keep doing that over and over. So I would say if I would do that again, I would spend at least two weeks in each place. But, yeah, it's, it was a, it was an amazing trip that, um that I that was enabled by what I would do for work these days. That's fantastic, and uh, you know, I was just thinking when you talked about your your law background, how you tolerated it for two years. I can think of yeah. quite a few kind of tolerated law for a couple of years, and then kind of transitioned successfully into other areas, like, like um, Jody Ettenberg, Jordan Harbinger. Uh, yeah. I have a friend. I have a friend, Yuri Vilner, uh, who who does like consulting remotely as a digital nomad. Uh, for law firms, um, and he, he was only just an intern in a law firm, and then you know parlay that Couldn't into a consulting career. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think your background is a bit similar to to Jordan's though, because what he found, um, he was also on this podcast, and um, he found that in the law firms that he worked in, it was the people who had the social skills that were uh, the rainmakers that you know made the most money. Um, they didn't really get bogged down in the technical work, but they were able to kind of get the accounts. And then he, he had this aha and realized that social skills were such an important part of mm. would, would you say yeah. that's kind of the, what, you, what you found as well? Um, that's part of it, you know. So And it's funny that you – I guess the rainmakers is a, is a very universal term. But within the law, uh, that's – within the law, uh, legal practice, that's like there's two types of lawyers basically. There's either the rainmaker or the grinder. And, you know, you don't want to be a grinder. But you also can't be a rainmaker, as Jordan and you were saying, if you don't have the social skills to do it. So, yeah, it's it, that was a big part of why I'm kind of in the area that I'm in. And also it's like, you know, shocker that a lot of the people that I went to law school with are just unpleasant people. And I didn't – a lot of people, a lot of other lawyers that I was interacting with are just unpleasant people. They're not happy with their lives, so they take it out on you. Um, so, yeah, this need for social skills – it's pretty salient, and um, you know, it also came to bear that I I was like pretty decent at it when I realized that it's literally every job I've ever had uh, definitely was not because of my grades or my academics, but you know, it's because I made a connection with something or someone rather, and um, built a relationship. So that you know, there, there's something that I say quite often. It's you know. It's who you know that gets gets you ahead, yes, but it's also who likes you. It's more so that whoever you become like buddies with, that's what that. Yeah. So tell me a bit about some of the ways that you kind of apply this uh, game theory. You know what you've learned from social interactions and, and the way that you've coached uh, your clients. How have you parlayed that into? 
we had a previous guest on the show, Dan Norris, who said that businesses grow from conversation. How, sure. how, do, you, how do you use what you applied to become successful as an entrepreneur? Um, well, you know, just like I was saying, um, every single job, legal job and job before law I've ever gotten was through a conversation or through a relationship or through a friendship and not through like, you know, just through an app, like an application or academics. Um, that is, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to make some key connections this past year that have like, that have really, you know, people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they realize it, but you know, I've, I've had quite a few mentors <laughs> this past year that have really enabled me to grow. And that really doesn't come about Okay, let's put it this way. That doesn't come about if people think that you're they're using or you're using them for something. You know, it happens organically when you have the goal of making or becoming friends with someone, making a relationship and uh, you know, even adding value to them. And that I you know, apparently is something that comes second nature to me or is much easier to me than other things. So, um yeah, it, it allowed, once you are able to build relationships with people in your field in your industry, um perhaps those people that are, that are like slightly ahead of you that allows you to grow so much better because it just um what's a term that someone told me it alters your reality as to what's possible right when you when you see someone have this level of success um maybe they have a kid maybe they're married you know they have far less time than you but they're just crushing it and then you know it really causes you to reevaluate what you're doing yourself <laughs> Yeah, you become the sum of the people you associate with, for sure. How do you find and connect with these? Um, you know, it's it's at this point, it's kind of a circular thing because, you know, I approach them because I have books, but then I have books because I. Okay, let me let me start that over. It's um, I've so I would say my bread and butter at this point is publishing and coaching, but publishing more so. Um, and the way that you find them is, you know, you just hang out in you hang out where they hang out. And if you devote enough time and you're dedicated and you're really, you know, you're hustling enough, then you will find those places. And then from there, it's just a matter of making yourself known, making your opinion known. And then, um, you know, it's like at a networking event, everyone exchanges cards or whatever, and then you shake hands and then one goes home. But the key to the key to success at a networking event is following up after the event, you know, for coffee or like, you know, getting, grabbing a beer with someone. And that I do, I guess I do the online equivalent of that, which is, you know, I have a lot of Skype calls with people, leaders in my field that I've been able to get just because, um, just because I'm involved and I'm interested in what they're doing. And, uh, it's, it's clear that I'm not just asking them for something. Yeah. And I think that, uh, when I think of networking events, sometimes I roll my eyes because I think of, <laughs> I think of they're people the like, they're the worst. Yeah. I think, I think of people like handing me a business card that I didn't even ask for, you know, and it just something about it feels very. It's why people hate it is because it's so forced and it's so unnatural and um, frankly fake. But, you know, that's because, you know, everyone is approaching each other with the angle. You know, everyone's trying to feel out. It's like, can you be useful to me? It doesn't really matter if I'm useful to you, but can I get something from you? If so, you know, I want to use you for that and let's connect after. But, you know, when you approach people and things and everything in general with the mindset of, um, I guess it's generosity, right? That you can help people or you're just getting people just to know people and build a relationship and be friends. Um, that's really how 
that's how everything starts. That's the root of everything. So that really should be your primary goal when you're meeting and talking to these people. Yeah, and I think it's also important to kind of be a little bit unique and different, especially if, if you're connecting with someone of value. It, it, just like if you were uh, trying to, to get a girl to like you or to connect, have a connection with a woman, right? Um, I, I, I guess I'm kind of fortunate that I don't have to, to worry about that too much because I kind of have a, a fun lifestyle that women are attracted to. But if, right. I was, if I was just a normal guy and I needed to be unique and different, um, you know, dating and, and social interactions are kind of the same. You know, how, how can I get people's attention and, and, and get them to, like, think, oh, this, this guy's worth my time? Oh, is that a question? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, part... Yeah, How do you stand out and, like, like, get them to think that you're someone of value? Well, I mean, you kind of said it best, to be honest. It's, it's if you're thinking, I would say if you're thinking that, if you're asking yourself that question, you're kind of asking yourself the wrong question because it's you spend all this time people spend all this time scheming and like thinking about how to make themselves more interesting but it really you you know you could take all that effort and all that mental bandwidth and just do something and become that more interesting person so that's kind of a big part of what i what i try to preach is like just you know stop thinking and scheming and just do um but you know okay so that's that's probably less helpful for people to hear um you know one of the more helpful ways that i always talk about to, um, I guess, appear more interesting and really destroy small talk when you're meeting these people is always have some kind of story prepared. Um, and that's actually very easy to do because when you think about, you know, conversation patterns and the first, probably the first 10 questions that you're going to, that are going to come up with someone new that you meet, um, you know, say, say you and I met on like a Monday, Danny. So that's like, Hey, how was your weekend? How's your Monday? You got a busy week. Um, do you work out? What do you got going on next week? How's your vacation? What did you do Saturday night, Friday night? Did you go out with any girls? You know, so these are all very predictable things that are definitely going to come up. And, um, instead, what do people do with them? These are softball questions, but people just kind of whiff on them and say, Oh, you know, not much. You, how about you? What did you do? Oh, sounds cool. Okay. See you later. So people just kind of, um, I would say, take it for granted that these questions are out there and don't take advantage of them. So the best way to initially sound interesting to people is to have some kind of mini, you know, 15, uh, second, 15, 20 second story prepared for that. And it's kind of for the simple fact that when someone asks you, you know, how was your weekend? What did you do last night? What are you doing this weekend? They don't really care about what, you know, that specific question. They could care less of what you did this weekend. But what, they, what they're really asking you is, please tell me something interesting about you that we can talk about, you know? So that would be, that would be the way to approach these questions to try to come off as more interesting and engaging. Yeah, that's great. And, and it, it kind of comes down to just being that interesting person. I think people are really attracted to leaders who sure. have interesting things in their lives, you know, something right. more, more important maybe than, than talking to a girl or, you know, approaching a business person, you know, they have something more important than that going on in their life, right? Uh, yeah, you know, it's yeah. one of those things that I, I say too, it's when you're, when you're engaged, you're engaging, right? So you have more, the more you have going on in your life, the more interesting you appear to be. And, you know, you think about, uh, <laughs> I don't know if your listeners are mostly male or female, but you think about when you stop giving attention to the girl, 
guess where? She, guess what? She comes back to you, doesn't she? So, it's it's a little bit like that as well. <laughs> yeah, we we could go down a whole rabbit hole talking about this this dating stuff. So I'm gonna try oh, to. Oh yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> I, sure. I know my own I know my own tendencies, so I'm gonna try to rein them in a little bit now. <laughs> but, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but 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 I want to I want to. Uh, you know, people of value, they can kind of sniff out whether what someone's all about, you know, just from the early interactions with that person. You know, when people try to network with me, when they send me a cold email, like, I think I can tell right away whether this is somebody I actually want to meet, whether, you know, like, if they want to meet for a coffee, whether I'm actually going to enjoy it, if we're going to actually have something to talk about. I, I feel like there's this kind of, like, people kind of give off this this vibe, like, right away. Um, and I, I, just because I'm busy, I, I don't I have seven days in the week, I, I don't have time to meet all these people. I can kind of like instantly make that decision about whether this person is someone I want to connect with um, or not. Uh, and so, like, what's what's your thoughts on that? About that that kind of just that vibe and and whether uh, whether this this interaction or this connection should. That that's a funny yeah, it's kind of funny for you to bring up. I, I do run into that sometimes, and usually it's pretty transparent. Um, you know, because it's like it's very obvious that they're they're asking or wanting something. So, um, and I'm sure that's what you see too. Like, how can you help me, or how can can you just tell me everything that you that you know about this topic? I was like, well, I could, but. But um, you know what? There's this there's this guy named Mark Manson. He he wrote this uh, article called uh, "F Yes or No." I don't know if I if you endorse swearing on this podcast, but um, "F Yes or No." So it's basically this concept that if you you know if you and you know he applied it to dating for the most part, but I think it applies to really every aspect of life. So I've kind of embraced it for the past year or two. Um, F Yes or No. You should feel that excited and that interested in that chemistry and whatever onto whatever you're going to do, whatever, whoever you're going to meet. If you're not, then it's probably, you know, it's not going to really get better with time. It's not really going to be worth it. Um, so that's kind of the approach that I have. Um, as for how to sniff it out, I don't know. I think you, you might get more cold emails than me, Ben. <laughs> Um, and a lot of it's when I travel, you know, like, um, I'll, I'll do a lot of pre-networking when I travel. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of people like, I'll, I'll have like locals, you know, like maybe I, I might get like 30 or 40 messages when I travel to a new city or something. And I, you know, I, I only really want to meet with maybe like three, four five people, like while I'm in a city, but mm. I, I have to filter through like, you know, 20 or 30 different messages or something like that. So I, I guess I kind of have like certain criteria, you know, where I, I say, like, okay, do, do I have something in common with this person, you know, or they just want to meet me for coffee and I, I know absolutely nothing about them. Uh, you know, <laughs> am, am I going to, like, am I going to be intellectually stimulated by this conversation, you know? Right, right. These are, these are kind of some of the things I, I think about when, I, when these people... Um, well, another thing that I think about is now that I'm, I'm, I kind of know exactly what my brand is going to be, you know, and it's going to be focused towards social interaction and social skills and communication is do they, it's not whether, it's not really about whether they can help me, but it's like, are they, is that something that they're interested in? Is that something they're going to be able to talk about at all? Yeah, exactly. Um, otherwise it's just, you know, what's, what's the point? I mean, nothing, it's just going to be a waste of your time, right? Yeah, so it's going to be one of those small talk things like, so what do you do? It's like, well, I thought I told you already. Oh, yeah, it's just not, not nothing in common. That's right. 
So there's, I don't see no, it there's no natural progression for the interaction. No, you know, and and like with the with people with the stuff in in common, it's also like, you know, we were talking about Grant Grant Worley, Worley and like a couple other people. It's like I, you know, these are people that I keep in touch with like on a constant basis for almost a year now. So, you know, these are the kind of relationships that I want to cultivate and keep. So, mm, it, it usually happens with people that are challenging and ambitious in their own right. So we can uh, kind of function like a, uh, there's got to be a better word than it, than like a loose assemblage of a mastermind. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's like, it's okay. So let me also put it this way. It's, I would say for you, Danny, you find, you might find it hard to relate or you would find it hard to relate to a lot of people back in the U S like in San Diego. Am I, am I wrong? Um, yeah, I mean, we just have totally different ways of looking at the world and at life. Yeah, you know? right. So, you know, part of part of who you want to connect with and keep in touch with is now just people that you don't have to explain your lifestyle to, right? It's just they understand it. They're on the same page as you, and they're maybe even they're maybe even doing it. They're maybe even doing it bigger than you. So it's you know, there's a common interest, and you're it, you, it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's a great point, is because um, you know a lot of these people. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of them in real life, but a lot of the people, like you said, are just kind of like internet friends who I have shared interests with. And right. when, when you mentioned mentors earlier, I was, I was thinking like, you know, how, how do those mentors help you in business? And you, you mentioned inspiration, but I, I'm also thinking that they also, they can also help, you know, support your projects. If you have like a book coming out, they can write a review, they can help share it. Um, sure. What, what are some other ways that you get like actual hard business value from these connections that you make? Um, well, let's see. Um, one of the first people's, uh, people that I was connected to was Jordan Gray, who is a relationship coach from Canada. And he was also a bestseller at that point. And he still is actually great guy. So he was super generous with his time. And he basically walked me through like the beginnings of copywriting. And, you know, I went to law school. I don't know about marketing or copywriting or writing to sell. So, you know, that was a huge thing. Uh, one of the next person people that I talked to was Tom Corson Knowles, who's like a kind of one of the original gangsters of self-publishing, so to speak. So he was helpful in like telling me about how to build a platform and how I should do email opt-ins and how I should, uh, you know, do my book titles and things like that. So, um, I guess my point is you get something from everyone because it doesn't seem like, you know, everyone is an ex area ex ah. Everyone has their own area of expertise and what makes them successful. So you find out you're able to find out what your strengths and weaknesses are going to be to make yourself successful. When you uh, talk to someone like Tom Corson, uh, was it Knowles? You said yeah. Tom yep. Um, yep. Yep. How, how does he like teach you all that stuff? Do you just ask him a few questions, or do you like jump on a Skype call with him? What, how do you approach him and, and get all that that valuable information from him? Um. You know, we'll usually exchange messages or emails, first of all, you know, and at this point, I'm lucky that I built, I've built up some kind of brand and name. So, um, I, you know, I get email replies at a much higher rate <laughs> at this point. Um, but, you know, it's, he sees that I can also add value. So we just jump on a Skype call and I was also on his, uh, publishing, like self-publishing podcast, I would say a couple months ago. So, you know, that's a relationship now that I have, and he's a super great guy. And, you know, we email each other occasionally just with questions. Um, Steve Scott, he's like a, a mammoth, the mammoth of, 
um, self-publishing aside from, you know, aside from whoever wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. But Steve Scott would be one of the, the champions or heroes or whatever. And, you know, sometimes we just exchange emails. We exchange Facebook messages and we just, you know, we talk about developments that are happening or like new books or new titles. We run stuff by each other and we just jump on Skype calls from time to time. And it's, um, you know, these are the relationships that you have when people, you know, there's two factors to it. It's people see that um, you have your head on straight and, um you know, are on the same level of, of ambition as them. And, you know, the second more important part, you know, they like you. So this is where it all really comes full circle. Yeah, and if you don't have that, you could also try to subscribe to their email list and, and listen to their podcasts, you know, because all these people you mentioned, they all have their own mailing list, for instance. So if, if you email them as a subscriber to their mailing list, I mean, suddenly you're, you're someone that's really plugged in, you know, someone that they care about because you're one of, you're their audience, basically. So, of course, they're going to respond favorably to you. And, yeah. you know, that's a great way to build a relationship, too, I think. Yeah, um, I, I have a feeling that your hack email book is all about, you know, being a kick-ass cold email writer, which I'm sure you are. So, you know, it's like in your cult. Okay, well, you know, your cold email and, like, your online dating messages, it's, it's really the same thing. You have to sell yourself. You have to show some value. You have to be interested. It has to be personal, um, and it has to make them feel or feel compelled to reply to you. So, um, you know, why would they, why would they reply to you if you're just saying, Hey, can I ask you for something? Which is the biggest mistake that most people make. Yeah. And it's, it's such a turnoff too, when they, they try to ask you something, but they are not familiar at all with your work or they misspell your, your blog or something like that. Or, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They ask yeah. Me like, can you, can you help me like with my business? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote a, a book about that. Maybe you should check that out first. You know, it, it's just, Nothing right. kind of just gets under your skin, especially like a, a very busy, successful person. Right. So <laughs> there, there you have it. Hack, hack email by Danny Flood available now on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk. I want to talk more about about your books too. But I, I wanted to ask you first: um, How are you such an incredibly prolif- prolif- uh, Excuse me prolific writer what's what's the secret to right. your productivity you've written 32 books in almost a year you kind of just broke out the gate in a massive way and and dominated amazon how did you do it um yeah it's um so it's an interesting thing the publishing or the self-publishing world in that uh most authors aren't writers <laughs> isn't that interesting <laughs> or isn't that mind-boggling actually um you know people are just I've always wanted to be a writer to some degree. I've always been good at writing and I've been okay writing a lot. So I, it's, it's just shocking that this, this is like a natural advantage in the world of publishing because you feel like, what, that's all it takes or like what people don't actually write. Um, anyway, um, so it's a combination of that. And, um, I would say, let me think of how many books I have. A few of those are like, annoying hard or paperback copies that I can't get rid of. Um, yeah, it's definitely high twenties though. So, and that's been amassed in about a year and a half, um, which is still a pretty breakneck pace. Um, so what's, what's the secret is, is just that, um, I, well, okay. One of the secrets is that I don't, I don't write a hundred percent of everything anymore. And what I mean by that is I, I do send some chapters to ghostwriters because, you know, as long as I have a good outline and, um, 
I have like a good topic and a good book. Then the ghostwriter, any most ghostwriters, or at least the ones I hire, can adequately explain, for example, why confidence is important. You know, just as well as I can. So there's a few chapters like that in each book. They're a bit more general and broad before diving into the deep uh, proprietary stuff, so to speak. Um, but really, it's just hours and like learning how I'm productive and like learning my optimal writing schedule. It's It's been a process for sure, but there are days where I can write like five to 10,000 words and there are days that I can write like 500 words. So you don't feel like there's, there's certain things that only... What, what, what do you like in particular focus on? Because you mentioned you send certain chapters to the ghostwriters. Oh, there are... Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. What do you... I, I would say there's a lot that I can only... Actually, what do you? What did you mean by that? Well, well Sorry, I mean, what, what, what do you focus on when you the, for the chapters that you write yourself? Is it like um, just like little known information, or are you sharing anecdotes of your personal experience? Oh, oh, they're more so. They're just nuanced, very nuanced and detailed stuff that comes from my personal observation, and you know, um, apparently, well, apparently, I am fairly talented at. Um, analyzing social interaction, you know, thinking what or knowing what people are thinking and kind of understanding why people do the things they do. So, yeah, a lot of that is stuff that only I can write and I could never ship off to anyone because it would just come back like a jumbled mess. Um, uh, I would say a big part of my success is is also, you know, coming starting from the very beginning is just getting much, much, much better at uh, uh, copywriting, which is, if you think about it, you know, you're selling a product, so so you should be able to sell it, and you should make it attractive to people, and you should tell people why they want to buy it, what they'll gain, why your book or product is special. But, you know, very few authors actually do that. Um, so that kind of boggles my mind as well. Um, you'll also have uh, a variation of, um, I, I suppose you'd call them purist authors. You know, they want to be like Ernest Hemingway, and they think – the pure value of their um, of their sentences and words and phrasing should sell books, but no, that's just uh, you're just not you're just not doing it right, correctly if you're doing it like that. Sorry, that was a <laughs> that was another rant. That's a rant for another time. No, that's that's a great point that you brought up. Um, I, I think a lot of writers, you know, they'll spend a lot of time on the manuscript, but then they'll they'll write like the the description of the book in about uh, thirty seconds or so. You know? Yeah. And yes. that's one of the most important parts of the book. <laughs> I mean, I usually say, you know, the cover. So there's like, there's a hierarchy, right? I would say the cover, the title, the subtitle, and the book description are the four most important parts of the book. <laughs> so I didn't mention the content, right? So the content is probably around fifth. But, I, you know, people, <laughs> I guess, don't like to admit that, don't like to think about that, or they think they're like, they're like selling out or something, but you know, it doesn't mean my content is bad. On the contrary, I think it's pretty good, but it also means that I devote a lot of time to the other stuff that actually makes it monetizable. Yeah. And you can't put too much pressure on yourself to be the best author, you know, the best writing author. You got to simply just do the best you can and just be really productive as possible and, and just keep publishing. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me your what's your game plan for dominating the charts like you do? Do you have a, a strategy worked out? I must you must have this down to a science. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is a bit of a science, and it's really um, 
I guess, well, if I could just uh, minimize it to, to a couple of things, there's just a launch sequence that I do. And there was the copywriting part, which is something that, so these are both things that everyone can do really. Um, the copywriting is just when I have, when I, with my books, they solve specific problems. And at this point I know my audience pretty well. So, you know, I know what exactly what they want. I tell them that's what they're going to get. And then I give it to them. Um, I feel like that's not a very helpful thing for, for your listeners. Um, so what I can do is I can point you to the copywriting formula that I use, which is called ADA, A-I-D-A. Uh, are you familiar with this much? Attention, interest, desire, action. Oh, yeah. So you are. Um, <laughs> so, but I think your readers or your listeners might not be. So I will do like a quick little uh, demonstration. So ADA, attention. So these are, this is in order. This is how, this is exactly what your book description should have because uh, I don't know, apparently psychologically speaking, it's what piques your mind's interest. So attention, this is how you catch someone's attention. It's usually going to be with a pain point. So, uh, you know, the example I always use is with online dating, uh, because you know, that's my first book and I like to, I like to think about it in fun terms. So what would catch your attention with online dating? It would be something like, do you want more dates? Or why are you sending so many messages but getting zero replies, right? That makes someone think, and that makes them read to the next line, which is going to be interest. So interest is always going to be what makes your book special, what are the special points of your book that no one else has. So for that, it would be something like, you know, this book is written by a coach that has written at this point hundreds of profiles, looked at at this point thousands of profiles, written thousands of messages, and just knows what works. Um, so then the next part, desire, that's where you tell them the benefits that they're going to get from reading your book about online dating. So for this example, it would be you will get all the dates that you want, you will double your reply rate, you'll get all the coffee dates and drink, uh, sorry, coffee dates that you want. Um, your profile will be greater. You know, you'll have women messaging you. And then finally, AIDA, um, you know, action, call to action. So you just say, you know, scroll up and click here. But it's just, it's kind of a very simple uh, concept to start out with, but it literally, you know, it gets into people's minds and it sells, it literally sells books. And that's, that's part of the secret sauce, I guess, that I'm doing and that most people aren't doing. Um, and, you know, part of that comes from being, I, I would say, a pretty good copywriter. But part of that, you know, a bigger part of that comes from just understanding my audience. And that's, you know, that's hours of research that I had to kind of struggle through at this point. It's so beautifully simple. But like you said, most people don't do it. And I want to uh, yeah. summarize that one more time. So the first one is... You focus on a very specific problem that your your audience is having, like uh, girls not replying to messages on a dating site, for example. With uh, your your own backstory and your own experience, uh, desire dangle the benefits in front of them so that they they really want the product, and then action is um, click here, you know, buy the book, or um, you could also do things to like lower their buying resistance, maybe. Um, you know, try it if you don't if you don't get like this result, 
um, I'll, I'll send me an email, I'll give you your money back or, or something like that, just something to yep. lower the barrier to, to buy. Right. Right. Or, you, or, you know, some kind of time urgency or so, so-and-so price for so-and-so long, very common thing too. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's, that's such a simple framework for people to use. It is, it is right. But, you know, and then Tom, Tom Corson Knowles has this very funny thing that he says, it's like, why, you know, he's looking for light bulbs one day and then it's like, he has to, he clicks on the product, you know, maybe it's on Amazon. It's like, he has to search super hard to find out how many Watts it is. Right. It's like, why am I, why am I going to buy this? So I feel like that's most people's books is that, you know, maybe you'll spend all your time on this, um, this manuscript and maybe it's like genius. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's going to change people's lives, but if you just don't make people want to click on it, you know, what's the point? Yeah. I think that a lot of authors, you know, they, they have some expertise on some topic and they just want to talk about whatever they want to talk about, you know, even if it's not what the audience wants to, to read about. So I want to ask you, do you, do you kind of apply this AIDA, like for the, for instance, the attention, you know, where you focus on these specific problems, is that how you prepare the outline in advance? Um, at this point, uh, actually, no. Well, let me think about what you're asking. Um, well, well, like, like in the book, right? You, you want to like address sure. certain problems of your market, right? That's that's why they're reading the book. Sure. So, would you say? That, oh, sure. That helps you with the, creating the outline as well. Or how, how, what's your approach to creating that outline? Um, actually, yeah, you're you're exactly right. It's because, but it's not it's not really thinking in terms of that, but it's just thinking in terms of. I know my market, so I know their pain points. I know the benefits that they want, and I know what they, you know, I know what they want to gain from it. So once you have that knowledge, and now all that knowledge obviously goes into the copywriting, you can create uh, outlines, you know, and write ad nauseum for them just because you know exactly what they want. You know, for example, like a very, a very popular phrase that they want is uh, avoid awkward silences or always know what to say. So. Yeah, it's very easy to write write for someone when you know exactly what they want. But the the problem is finding out what they want. And you know, I was wrong a lot, frankly, and you're going to be wrong a lot. But that's part of the process. I, what I really love is how you've taken these two things that are really you. Um, you said that you're a writer. You know, something that you're really passionate about, and you're also a part of this market. You you were the guy who who had to deal with all of these issues. So you're just being mm -hmm. really authentic to you, and that's a big part of your success. And that actually reminds me of uh, what Dan Norris said in his book about the characteristics of high-growth companies, is that it's better to not just focus on what you think is a good business idea if, if you're not really passionate about it. Focus on what, what really fires you up that's really unique to you and really authentic to you. Yeah, um... Uh, I mean, frankly, that's not, I wouldn't, <laughs> frankly, that's not advice I would give people uh, because Dan Norris, I know he runs WordPress Curve and I guess I know his founder, uh, Alec Clafferty, he's in San Francisco too, but I, you know, we're, we're all doing pretty well and we're all lucky. We just kind of lucked out, you know, a lot of people could, you could say that to a lot of people to follow your passion and follow exactly what you want and they're not going to you know, succeed, frankly. Um, but, you know, it's important. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind of a conundrum, right? It's, it's important to when you have your own business, um, you don't want to just tolerate or exist in your job. Like, uh, 90% of the lawyers I know, um, maybe following your passion isn't 
the safest route, but I don't know. I don't think there's a, there isn't really a conclusion to what I'm saying here. <laughs> that, that's all right. But I, I think that you have a real distinct competitive advantage because you're writing about a topic that you're, you're writing to an audience that you used to be a part of basically. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. 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 And, and so that, that, that gives you a competitive advantage because you, you can use um, terminology like you, like you mentioned in this interview that, that they understand. Uh, yeah, it's it's just as simple as like, um, how can I put this delicately? If you've always been good with girls, which I haven't by any stretch, if you've always been good with girls, then you are not going to understand how to improve. Or, um, for example, if you're always okay, I'll put it in another way. If you're always good at basketball since you were a kid, and all the stuff is just internal in your brain, then you can't teach it. You know, it's not stuff that's conscious to you. But when you go through the process from uh, poor to good to great or whatever, then you understand what's needed to get from each level. And you can teach it to other people far more effectively because you have that perspective. You mentioned that copywriting is a big part of your success. How do you promote and market your book? I'll be honest in, in that this is a, like a very unsexy answer is that I don't really need to much at all because that's what copywriting does it you know and that they in that they sell themselves just because you know the title the subtitle and the cover are just all going to be compelling the people that are interested even remotely in such a topic so I, I, that's a very disappointing answer i guess but what, i'm sorry what was that no it helps put things in perspective so the, the two areas you focus on most are that and and just being productive, being a, a, a prolific author, and, and con those two areas of it. Yeah. yeah. So I'll put it this way. Uh, here's something else that reminds me of it. It's I have a book called Social Fluency, and I'm sure that you understand what that is. But people see that phrase on Amazon, they're just like, "What?" And they click through it, or they click buy it. So <laughs> that book actually does not sell as much other ones that are uh, similar in content just because people don't understand it. So a lot of times people with their, with their covers, with their titles, with their subtitles, they just try to get so clever and it's so counterproductive and it, uh, you know, most of the time it just kind of tanks their books because people, you know, Amazon is a, and we're talking about Amazon because Kindle is Amazon, uh, you know, really. So, so Amazon is just a platform of impulses you, know, you don't have your reputation to fall back on. You don't have um, any validation from external sources. All you are on Amazon to a potential, or, I mean, I guess to the casual browser, is you are like 50 characters. You know, that's your title and most of your subtitle and this little thumbnail of a uh, of your cover. So, you know, it just makes sense. That that's fantastic. That was a, a great point you just Amazon is just a platform of impulses, and you have to be able to. Uh, another point you made is that your book, in those fifty characters, you have to have broad, widespread appeal. Uh, otherwise, people are not going to understand it, and people are not going to buy it if they don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's. I see so many books where they try to get too cute with the cover, or I mean, sorry, with the with the title. When you know, for for example, they really could have just said something like. Uh, how to do this or something and it's like that's so much clearer and 
when I read your when I read your title, I literally have no idea what your book is about. So I will never click that. <laughs> and, and then to make it easier, you know, people always um, interested in human drives, you know, universal uh, money, success, love, sex. Yes. Um, so as long as, if it's going to help them get one of those basic human drives, then you're you're probably on the right path. It's true. That is, you know, I do coach some authors actually. And, you know, some of them come to me with like not much of an idea of what to write, you know, and first of all, I'm like, if, you know, you should probably know what you want to write because you're probably good at, you know, you're probably better than most people at something. So you should write about that. But, you know, if you really don't have something to write on, make sure you can impact exactly as you said, Danny, make sure you can impact people's either health, wealth, or relationships, because these are all the things that people always care about. It's just human drive. Fantastic. Well, this, this has been a good conversation. I really appreciated the chance to, uh, to get to know you and interview you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add in, in terms of a piece of advice about uh, publishing in particular? Publishing in particular? Um, <laughs> don't be afraid to go into a saturated market because that just means that's where people, the eyeballs are and that means that's where the money is. Um, I feel like I see a lot of people trying to uh, create their own market or, or just write a book without knowing if it'll sell. You know, know what sells, and if you're going to write something that's going to be in a big market with lots of competition, I think you should probably embrace that because chances are if you really put some work in, you can do what's out there better. You can make a better version of what's out there, rather. Right, and then you can kind of just customize it so that it's unique based on your perspective or, or for the market that you're trying to target, right? You got it, yep. Awesome. Uh, so, Patrick, tell me a little bit about your location-independent lifestyle. Just kind of shift gears here before we wrap up. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so, I, yeah, it's, you know, I'll admit it was a little bit, um, what, what would be a good word? anxiety inducing to uh, kind of step out of my comfort zone and not have a base, uh, <laughs> you know, cause it is a little bit, it's, it's a little scary. So I was for, I I'm based in San Francisco, but what is it? It's, uh, end of September now. So I've been in San Francisco for all of like three months, this 2015, just, I've been in Asia. I've been in other cities in the U.S. I've been through Europe. Um, I went to Canada for a few weeks. Um, oh, I went to Brazil. I went to South Africa, South America. So I've been around, and it's something I would say that you get used to and you start appreciating more when you can actually embrace it and just kind of forget about the people and everything at home. Um, I would say don't expect to do any work if you're traveling, if you're location jumping, you know, like every – every couple of, or every five or six days. If you actually want to get some work done, I think you have to plant yourself somewhere for at least two weeks or that's, that's how I function anyway. You know, so there's enough time to build up a routine and then work, work, work into that routine. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I'm actually kind of laughing here because, uh, I, I'm on the road yeah. now and we've, we've been dealing with this and I just, uh, you know, a Starbucks and, uh, the kids all around yeah. me and stuff, and it, it is really challenging. I mean, I, I you know, like yeah. from one from one from one aspect, I'm I'm living the dream, but then on the other on the other side, it, it takes a lot of like discipline and focus and just really drive. Like you really got to be committed and want it so badly. 
to, to put up with you, all these experiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really do. And you really, you know, I would say an underrated part or an underrated negative part is like, there can be lonely sometimes. Um, just cause you're out of that comfort zone. You don't have the, the, like the go-to friendships and, and, you know, relationships of convenience that you do have at home where it's like people just live next door. Um, yeah. you know, I will also say though, you know, that, that sentence you said about living the dream, I think, something that people really, really, really have to be careful about when they're considering this kind of lifestyle is if this is something they're really going to enjoy. Because, you know, I think I'm fortunate that I have the means and that I do enjoy it. But a lot of people, that's just not a lifestyle that they enjoy. You know, traveling around, having no base, having no, um, I guess, even security, some would say it, roughing it sometimes. You know, and I was guilty of this at the beginning too. I was like, I was reading all these blogs. I was like looking at all these crazy Instagram uh, accounts. I probably saw yours, Danny. I was like, holy shit, this guy's living an amazing life. And, you know, you are for you, but not, you know, people really need to think about if they want that kind of life or if they're okay just not being location independent, but just kind of being their own boss and, taking a couple of vacations more than they would usually. Right. So it's kind of one of those things that you, everyone's different. And, um, I would say there's definitely, definitely the Kool-Aid that gets passed around about location independence, but some people just shouldn't drink it, I guess. <laughs> a big, I think a big part of the problem is people are unwilling to be vulnerable, especially in this, uh, in what we do, you know, this this online entrepreneurship, like you always have to seem to be to be winning, to be succeeding. You know, you have this pressure to, you know, in order to keep your business. Like if if you keep the vibes positive, business is going to pick up too. So if if you mm-hmm. feel like a day, like you really just want to bitch and complain, you know that people are <laughs> going to be turned off by that. It's going to affect other areas. It's just going to snowball. So you just kind of get swirled up in this spiral of positivity. I think. Yeah. So <laughs> it see, that's leading. It can very it can be misleading, yeah. You know, it doesn't show you like um like you you maybe you have a well you were in Thailand for a while, right? So you get some nice Instagram pictures of like some Thai curry or some Thai street food. They don't show you the inevitable diarrhea afterwards, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. I I've had to get my fair share of uh uh, stomach antibiotics and stuff to cure, kill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just traveler's diarrhea every day. Uh, yeah, I understand. Oh God, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, right. So this is the dark side, I suppose. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I, I would just reiterate that this is—it's really uh, a lifestyle that seems glamorous and is a great fit for some people, but it's not sustainable for most that seek it out. <laughs> I, I know there's some people listening that are saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's all, all well and good, but I, I still want it." You know, still I'm want gonna... it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair so, enough. So for, so for those people, uh, just just one more last question: uh, if, if you were to yeah. go back to square one and um, you're starting off from scratch and you had 90 days, um, what what would you do to reach your specific freedom number uh, that could enable this lifestyle? Like whatever it is, maybe it's like 1,500 a month. Like, what what would you really focus on just to get there? Uh, in, in like three months' time. A freedom number. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Well, so I, I starting. I want to focus on a specific goal. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that term really. <laughs> um, liberation number. 
Okay, so <laughs> let's see. So starting back from when I didn't know, I don't know, is am I starting when I just didn't know everything, anything like two years ago, and I could like teleport back and have a conversation with that guy, maybe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, okay. yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, sorry, that was a weird question. Let's just do it that way then. Um, so that being the case, I would say I would teleport back. I would give my former self, I don't know, probably a punch in the stomach for continuing to practice law. And after that was over, it would be something, definitely stuff about, I guess you're you're talking about, Are you? I guess you're not even talking about publishing in particular. Okay. So, um, first, well, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess it's fine. Like, uh, the way I look at, at what you do, like with publishing, is that um, the way forward is for you is just kind of keep publishing, right? Just keep creating new content, creating new good content, and eventually you're going to reach that tipping point where you're able to sustain yourself, right? Without a, without any law law job, for instance. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, okay. Fair enough. So, that being the case, um, you know, do a lot of research in the market. Absolutely learn how to copyright. Probably take a couple courses to accelerate your learning on that because that's kind of unlocking. <laughs> that's the key that unlocks uh, the income, so to speak, on publishing. And um, honestly, that's that's really the one one thing I would say. It kind of, kind of everything just just stems from there. And and so just the more you just research and, and you just commit yourself, um, just just kind of surround yourself with uh, what you're doing and, and just you know eventually you're gonna just keep getting better and better, right? Yeah, because with this, you know, it's it's inherently time intensive, <laughs> you know, the writing and the publishing and the editing. So um, that's not really something you can skip over, but you can, you know, learn how to tailor your message and the benefits that you're giving people and how to attract people much better and, and much better and quicker. Um, even sometimes with the same content, you know, same content with a better, with a better value proposition is going to sell. So um, might as well focus on the, the, the part that's going to make it sell. Yeah, that's fantastic. So just just be like willing to invest that time, be committed, uh, keep learning and tweaking and refining along the way. Uh, yeah. The re the reason I asked that question is is for someone who's listening to us who maybe is not successful at this yet. Um, yeah. They they really want to know like how do, how do I get to where Patrick is? <laughs> and and sure, so sure. I want to make sure that they know that there's there's hope and, and how they can can get forward and, and move to where they want to be. Oh, there's definitely hope. <laughs> you know, yeah, knowing is half the battle, to be honest. It's if you know, I mean, you could probably take a look at my, my books on Amazon right now and look how long it, my book descriptions are and look how I would say pinpoint, uh, pinpoint and specific the titles are. And it's like very clear what people are going to get out of them. And it's uh, very clear why someone would be able to buy it. Um, you know, it's just thinking about it that way. And then compare it to your book right now, which probably has something like, you know, uh, buy now because it's only 99 cents for another two weeks or something like that. It's like, uh, you know, there's no contest. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and all the insight that you've shared with us on this interview. If someone wanted to go check out more from you, should they just go search for Patrick King on Amazon? Yeah, you could do that. Um, you can also just uh, find me on my website, Patrick King Consulting. So I have a blog there, and then um, you know you can contact me through through there as well. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Patrick, for your time. I, I really enjoyed it. All right.